Hi, welcome to Grin and Parrot, where a couple of teachers are talking about current trends in education. I'm Paige Polsine. I'm Kathy Barth. And today we've got some interesting stuff to talk about, so thanks for joining us. Well, today we want to tackle the difficult topic of how to handle difficult questions in your classroom. How do we deal with difficult questions? We all know they come up from time to time, and for many teachers, it's kind of a deer-in-the-headlight situation. (laughs) They always seem to come up at the worst possible times and under the most unexpected circumstances. So what do you do? Yeah, and this is a big one for me. And, I, of course, a lot of this came about in our discussion as Kathy and I were talking about the results of the recent election. And... I honestly, that deer in the headlights is a great example. It's a great uh, metaphor, the image of it, because I felt like I felt almost paralyzed. Like I just did not know. I didn't know what was going on inside my own head, let alone how to talk to my students about it or or give them the place to talk about it. And one thing that has really struck me is that for teachers, we have this opportunity to really help our kids uh, be open in their thinking and figure things out. But then how does that juxtapose against the teacher's own need to have space to think things through? And part of what really was a quandary for me was that I'm working in a school and in a neighborhood that is not it's it's very it's very diverse and 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 in a way a little bit fractured not the school but the neighborhood that we've um i had students who were devastated at the results mm-hmm. of the election and i had students who were cheering and right. and that was um just trying to trying to figure out as a teacher how to embrace all the children's uh, viewpoints and also then not really sure about how I could justify my own my own way of looking at it. Right. Some of the I, I found a really interesting article or from the Southern Poverty Law Center website, and there's particularly talking about how to talk about race with students. But the one topic that they bring up I thought was very interesting, and that is how safe teachers feel to talk to other teachers about it or how supported they feel in terms of administration and that it might be tough for teachers to address these kinds of difficult issues in their own classrooms when they're not sure what kind of support they're going to get from their colleagues and their administrators and that teachers may feel like they're sometimes even putting their job on the line when... If they, you know, if they provide this kind of opportunity to really talk about the questions that then reflect sort of the fractured society as a whole. And that really, as I read that article and that section of that article, it struck me that that's really my biggest question is how, as a teacher, do you figure out how to stand up for your own viewpoint and beliefs at, while at the same time not disrespecting the philosophy of the school or the, you know, educators right. that you worked with, 
while at the same time providing an open safe space for all students it's it's very very tricky and i'm not sure if i have any answers what do you think well i'll interject <laughs> i'm not sure that our place as teachers is to inject our own opinion right i think i think it's a little bit it's a little bit of a twist on the conversation if you start making it a, if if a teacher starts making it about his or her own opinion mm-hmm. i think for me the question is more is this something that i need to figure out how to give my students a safe place and way of exploring and so the, a couple of things come to mind for me one is that um one one is that is that you get, we're going to have to have some... Um, there are two things that you have to have to have a discussion like this in the classroom that are imperative. And then there are a lot of other ways that you can... other things you can put into the, the whole mix. But the first thing that you have to have is you have to have discussion boundaries. Right. And some of the discussion boundaries could include the not necessarily stated idea that the the, the facilitator, the teacher doesn't have an opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying you should never have an opinion right. about something, but but maybe our position as teachers needs to be that we just help the students. Right. On the other hand, students are probably going to ask what your yeah. opinion is. So a lot of what we have to do is just prepare for the idea that we're going to run into these topics and we're going to ideally have thought through mm-hmm. how we might handle it. And that really was, that actually was my big concern or question because I felt so strongly that mm-hmm. I didn't know how I was going to be able to talk about it in a way that didn't reveal my right. my own emotions right. about it. Right, and then um, and it brings up all the other parts Exactly, of that, and I didn't feel like I could avoid it completely. Mm-hmm. I talked to my administrator about it. He said, handle it the whatever way you need to mm-hmm. handle it. It's totally mm-hmm. fine. Great support from my administrator. But... I, I, as a cop-out, I would have liked him to say, do this, that, or the other. You should follow. But ultimately, I decided to just give the students the opportunity to write their response. Uh, they do uh-huh. journal writing every day in my class anyway. And I, get, so, and I figured that way, I'm not part of the mix, so right. I don't run the risk of trying to influence them in one way or the other or make I didn't want to make some students feel bad and I didn't want to make other students feel unsafe right and um, but I didn't feel like we could just pretend it hadn't happened because there were strong emotions uh, I, in a way I kind of felt like it was a little bit of a cop-out but I think that it worked out actually for the best it was better for me mm-hmm. because I could take that pause and not be right in the middle of it. Um, but I also felt like it gave the kids the opportunity. Well, and, and a writing exercise is a great way to have people kind of reflect on what they feel about something without it becoming overwhelming emotionally. Right. Because you're not sharing, you're not getting a reaction from someone immediately and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. You know, it's a good cool down. Right. You know, as I was doing um, some research for this, uh, I found some kind of interesting things, some very specific ways of handling conversations in classrooms that I thought were really useful. And I hadn't thought about it for a while. I, um, uh, but 
I already mentioned, you know, the one thing you need are discussion boundaries, and I do believe that. And yeah. it also, that is true in every scenario that I found doing my research. That was the first thing, pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, mm-hmm. was this idea of people should know what to expect in the course of a discussion. Right, and what's and what the, acceptable and, and what isn't. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and then the second major thing that I think these two things go together is that we have to leave room for debriefing. We have to leave room for processing what the discussion has been. Um, and so we have to build that into our classroom time. And that can be writing. Mm-hmm. It could be, there are all kinds of alternatives for doing that. Um, you know, I found some really good resources for that, that teachers could visit online mm-hmm. and really just kind of pick and choose the thing that makes them comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I think that we have to remember that um, there are always going to be co- topics that we're not personally comfortable discussing. And we consistently, this is yet another decision that a teacher has to make, because mm-hmm. of course those conversations come up at inopportune moments, right. often, right. and in many different ways. And we have to make an instant decision about whether to stop everything and discuss something or whether to postpone and I would say one really good strategy is to acknowledge. Okay, so the idea behind this spontaneous conversation coming up, and, and the fact, and the fact is, we have to deal with it in some manner. Mm-hmm. It, often, you can't just ignore it completely. Um, so we have to respond, even if the response is only a decision on taking action later. Right. Right. So. Acknowledging the student who raised the issue is important, um, and maybe following that by noting that uh, there could be a variety of responses to that issue. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's kind of obvious in the example that you were giving, but I think a lot of our students really don't get, it really depends on their age, but they but they don't get that people really feel differently about things. Right. They're very yeah. self-centered about that, right. you know, and yeah. they think that um, the way they feel about something is logically the way most people should feel about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. You know? um, and you should decide as a teacher whether you're ready and willing to talk about that right then. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, um, if there's interest and you'd like to wait, schedule it. Schedule a discussion yeah. and suggest ways that your students could prepare for the discussion. Mm-hmm. And then that gives you a really good way of actually then teaching them how to have a discussion like right. that. Right, right. You know? And there was a really excellent resource on uh, tolerance.org, the Teaching Tolerance website, mm-hmm. which um, which also was primarily directed at, at racism and, right. and discussing those kinds of issues, but is so translatable to any difficult topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had some really great tools, um, and they, they came up, they have a perfect strategy um, that they call reiterate, contemplate, respire, and communicate, huh. <laughs> which I thought, but now that to me is kind of aimed at older students, mm-hmm. and they do go on to say that kindergarten through fifth grade is the designation they used. You can say, repeat, think, breathe, feel sure instead of the larger words sure. and ideas sure you know? it's kind of you don't want to have to explain to your third grade class what reiterate <laughs> <laughs> um and then and then ways to check in with your students throughout the discussion mm-hmm. ranging from simple um 
you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs neutral to kind mm-hmm. of get an idea mm-hmm. uh, about how they're feeling about the conversation. Red light, green light, yellow light, out of order, but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, using a kind of a what they call a fist to five which was how mm-hmm. comfortable, you could ask a question, how comfortable are you with this topic? Or mm-hmm. whatever your question might be in the, cor- in the course of the conversation. And mm-hmm. your students could put up a zero, or they mm-hmm. could put up a four, or they could mm-hmm. you know, do something like that that mm-hmm. would give you a really good idea of how to proceed. You know? mm-hmm. And those also said, those, that site was very clear on allowing time and space to debrief that I really have trouble reiterating that the importance of that enough. Right. Um, and they gave really good suggestions. So yeah, that's, I'm interested in hearing about that. Okay. Right. So writing was a a really great, you know, thing to do. Um, journaling and deciding ahead of time what the level of privacy with that journaling was going to be, whether it was going to be a give and take with the teacher or Mm -hmm. whether it was going to be their own private journal. Mm -hmm. Um, something called talking circles, which mm-hmm. is basically the old camping talking stick. Right. <laughs> you know, where you designate a significant object and only the person holding that object is allowed to talk mm-hmm. and they get to debrief that way. Right. Um, for, for younger students, they suggested things like role-playing with puppets or um, instead of a writing a journaling assignment, doing a drawing exercise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, that could be, you could decide whether that was going to be private or shared. Right. You know, and with whom it would be shared. Right. So I just thought that that was a really good resource. Yeah. And then I'll tell you really quickly about the another really good resource I found. And that was the University of Michigan um, website, which surprised me, but I guess it shouldn't because they have a really good uh education program, Mm -hmm. Um, and they have uh, something there called the Center for Research on Learning and Teaching, Mm -hmm. and they have guidelines for discussing difficult or controversial topics, Mm -hmm. and so not only is there a list of guidelines Mm -hmm. there, but there are resources and further places that a person could go Mm -hmm. to really just figure out whatever you needed to figure out. You know, just starting with your comfort level and your your knowledge base and going on from there. Yeah. So um, I just thought that there were some really good uh, resources online. Uh, The one other one that I found just offhand was uh, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt University, Vanderbilt Mm -hmm. CFT Center for Teaching, Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt University. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was an article among many other things, about leading classroom discussion on difficult topics. Mm -hmm. So this is clearly something that a lot of educated people have thought about, Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. well worth thinking about. But it's also well worth individual teachers' time and effort to plan what you will do when this happens. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) When this happens. Yeah, Yeah. and I think what, what strikes me so much, and I think the the election just sort of put it in sharp relief Mm -hmm. is that I've always been able to sort of distance the idea of that difficult topic from the reality of the lived experience of my students and myself. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I wasn't able to do that. Right. right? Because I had such a personal response to the election and that's talking in my, you know, from my great white privilege perspective. Mm. Right. But when we talk about or have to confront issues of race 
or gender, mm-hmm. all of which can be very personally uh, important to our individual students. Right. And right. so I guess I'm just opening my eyes to the delicacy mm-hmm. of these kinds of discussions because they're deeply personal or can be deeply personal right. to our students. And that's where I feel like we have to, we can't avoid them. Right. I agree. But we have to figure out a way. And that, and I love all of those um, mm-hmm. ideas that you gave that just to, because school has to be a safe place. Right. And then it and then it becomes our responsibility to a certain extent to actively facilitate these discussions. Yeah. And, and by that, I don't really mean that I believe we should be forcing these discussions on our students unless you are doing something in your classroom that has to do with discussing ethics quandaries or, I mean, something, some specific course. And in fact, and in fact, that makes me think of um, one thing I, I read that I really agreed with and resonated, it really resonated with me, was how important it was to think ahead of time um, for a teacher about how a discussion of a difficult topic contributes to your own learning goals. So mm-hmm. the learning goals for your classroom. Right. So if you can relate it to things that are going on yes. already in your classroom, yes. then honestly that makes it a very appropriate direction to go. Yes. And, yeah. and, a, and a useful direction. And to it go. provides this great sort of bridging the gap between mm-hmm. the lived experience of our students and the content that they're learning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the one of the resources that I explored as we were looking at this was an interview with an author, uh, Richard Milner, who has written a book called Racing to Class, Confronting Poverty and Race in Schools and Classrooms. Mm-hmm. And he tells uh, a variety of stories in his book, but at one point he talks about uh, one of the schools he was working with, there had been a robbery uh, at a convenience store, like right around the corner from the school. Oh, wow. And it was uh, of a, a lot of, you know, heightened concern for many of the students. And they, he was talking, he was doing some professional development with the teachers and they were talking about how do they, how do they deal with something like this? And this, we've kind of talked about stuff like this before with the school shootings and things like that. Right. How do you, how do you address that? Do you just sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen? Even though, Kids walk past that discussion, that that convenience store every day on their right. way to and from school, right? And they have to worry that somebody with a gun may come racing out of it. Yes. You know, do we just pretend it doesn't happen, or or how do we how do we pretend incorporate like it's it into outside our, of the experience of this classroom? Exactly, so and say it's not my it. job, right. and that is one way that teachers do it. Anyway, I don't have I don't have answers, but I just feeling like this is you one don't of have. You don't have answers, but that's an important thing to remember when you want to have a conversation or when you feel the need to have a conversation like this. You don't have to have all the answers to facilitate a good conversation. Yes. And you can be upfront about that. Yes. You can say to your class, I don't know the answers to this question, but I am willing to explore this with you. Yes, and we have to talk about it. And that's so interesting because one of these, one of the quotes I pulled out of Milner's interview yeah, when his uh, interviewer asked him about this, mm-hmm. you know, you, you talk about this, but you don't necessarily have answers. And he says, this is exactly what he says, just because it's complex 
and we don't know for sure what's going on doesn't mean we shouldn't be interrogating and trying to figure it out. Oh. And that's where I think we really fall short. Huh. And I that I agree with that. Uh-huh. But it's uh-huh. terrifying at the same it's time. It's totally <laughs> terrifying. It is completely terrifying. Yeah, especially when I'm also emotionally caught up in whatever issue right. it is that right. is is um, on the table. So well, and it opens up a, a risk. It opens up a new level of risk because mm-hmm. you you don't know what and if a student's going to share at home, or uh, you you don't know what's going to happen. Right. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility as educators to um, pursue that kind of education right. with our students. Right. It's part of helping them to if, figure out if how they to don't learn it or... with us, where are they going to right. learn it? They're not going to get it off Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to have a hard time getting that from the news. Yeah. Yeah. Or social media. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, I see this as part of our job. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for talking about that. And That was clearly, a difficult conversation. It was, it was clearly difficult for us to talk about it. I know, isn't that crazy? I know. Well, yeah. This just points up how hard it is in general. Yeah. Because we are, we are long-time friends. Yes. We, we don't have, have too much trouble talking. Oh, boy. So I want to talk about something else that sometimes um, presents a problem in the classroom, (laughs) and that's when you really want to cuss, and you can't. You can't. You just can't. And, uh, you know, I think that many of us have come across that. I knew maybe somebody that hasn't, and I do have a confession to make. When I started my teaching career, um, I didn't cuss mm-hmm. I, in my life. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I just I was raised in a household that didn't do that, where it was hugely frowned upon, mm-hmm. um, and it was considered to be uneducated and offensive, and we did not speak that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I've since um, revised my behavior to some extent. <laughs> so this wasn't a, always a problem for me because mm-hmm. <laughs> I just didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, now it's sometimes more of a problem. And mm-hmm. there are times when I'm teaching a lesson and oh, I just don't know what to do because the first thing that comes to my mind is not really what I need to be saying. Right. So how, how do you handle that, Paige? Well... <laughs> This is an issue for me because I love to cuss. I love it. Uh, and I don't remember how I was raised, to be honest. Like, uh, my family didn't cuss. My mom probably said, oh, hell's bells when she got frustrated with things. But um, but I don't know why, but I have always loved to cuss. It's just my thing. I don't use cuss words in relationship to people. I never call people names. I don't. Uh, but when I'm frustrated, I like to let out a long list of expletives <laughs> in very creative. Um, yes, there's, there's just nothing like it for me, and uh, and I have a tendency in my day to day life, cussing just as part of my vocabulary. But of course, I'm not going to do it in my classroom, and or I'm going to try very 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 hard. <laughs> Every now and then, something slips through. Uh, and luckily, my, my students have always been very sweet and generous about it. But um, first of all, of course, 
cussing, usually if I want to cuss in the classroom, it's because I'm really frustrated at something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's not a situation. And usually when I get frustrated in the classroom, I'm frustrated at a student. Oh, right. So I I would never cuss at a student student. because I don't cuss at people. Sure. uh, In general. But mm, I get so frustrated. (laughs) Uh, So I have kind of two strategies that work for me. One is when I want to cuss, I... I use my own language and my students, it works, it works, both of these ideas sort of work in the same way in multiple, uh, on multiple levels. One, they cut the tension and make uh-huh. everybody laugh, mm-hmm. which usually then gets then rid of my anger. some of the frustration yeah. and anger. Um, and it allows me to express myself without using that inappropriate language right. that, you know, we can't. That you really don't want to model for I yourself. don't want to model that for my students, not until they're adults anyway. Uh, but... So one is like I speak in my own language and I'll be, you know, some child will be doing something they shouldn't be doing and I'll be just like, or something like that. And then, and the first time I did that, I, I had the coolest student turn and look at me and talk right back to me. And, um, and it's so cute because now I have students trying to, like parse out the language what do different particular sounds mean and it's very funny because sometimes i'll just go off or you know whole conversations in my created language but it's nice because it works for me to to just sort of break that Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. of tension and uh, the other thing I do, which is very similar, is I I move into an accent, like and an accent that works really well for me when I'm really frustrated is a Russian accent, <laughs> because I can uh, the Russian accent is already um, a little bit angry, so I can say what are you doing over there? You just put you ah uh, I see you. You need to stop it now. It's not all right. All right, all right. It's fine, and. I can and say, similar, right. yeah, I can say what I need to say without having to cuss, but I get my idea across, but everybody is lightened by it right. because we all right. find it kind of humorous. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, or sometimes I'll just go into my southern and say, honey, you know, that's just not appropriate in class <laughs> or whatever. And and it works great for me because I love doing those things. So, So playing with the sound of language is something that, already makes me happy. Yes. So, so that for immediately me, is good. Exactly. It pulls life. me out of that frustration uh-huh. so I don't feel the need to cuss anymore. Right. Um, but it just works in general to to lighten the atmosphere whenever yeah. that situation comes up. Those so are that, two those are two great strategies. It really helps me. Yeah. That's great. Well you had something else you wanted to share today. Um, a resource. Oh yes. So I am doing a new uh, project with my students, which I'll talk about some other time. But one of the things I really needed to uh, to create for them was some kind of a flow chart or a word web to help organize a bunch of information for right. them in a way that made sense. So I kind of just... I did. I did some research trying to find what I what tools I could find, and I knew there had to be an app out there that could help me with this. And I found a lot of different things, but the one that really worked for me is this um, website called Coggle, C O G G L E, and the it's Coggle.it. And 
it helps you create in a very easy, straightforward, user-friendly way, a word web that is color-coded and you can make it as complex or as simple as you want and you can just type in what headings and information you want in it and right. automatically... And it just generates. It just it's generates it. And then you can... You can change the colors, you can, and you can change the shape, you can, you can wow. manipulate it any way you want, but you don't have, cause in the past I've done things like, um, I don't know, I've just put text boxes in, uh, you know, in a document and tried to sort of create my own. Right. But this just was so quick and easy. When you showed me the example that you had of something you were preparing to use in your classroom, I was really floored. It's beautiful. It, and it's so clear and easy to read that I just, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was exactly what I needed. Uh -huh. And so this, I I highly recommend it. It is, uh, you do have to, you can do a certain number of private um Documents, I can't remember what they call it, for free, but then it, but anyway, Mind there is, apps. there, yeah, there is a, there is a level to which, you know, it becomes a subscription. It becomes a subscription a or whatever. Right. But I have found I can work with it perfectly fine in their, with their free, you know, level of stuff. And, um, anyway, that's I just, wonderful. I just loved it and I'm going to use it quite a bit because it, well, I'm, it I'm great. completely going to explore using it now. So much fun. So yeah. much fun. Good to hear about. Yeah. Good to hear about. So um, along the lines of fun, yes, <laughs> I get <laughs> nice to segue. I, I get to share our uh, cocktail pairing, <laughs> <laughs> and of course today is January sixth of twenty seventeen, and so we're fresh out of the New Year's party atmosphere, and I was exposed to this lovely cocktail at a at a gathering. It was actually a Hanukkah party oh. at my friend Nikki's house. And it was just a little piece of heaven, I should say. Uh -huh. And I feel like this is going to be the perfect cocktail for me when I'm completely distressed and trying to figure out all of these complex issues. This is a very simple cocktail, but very bubbly and uplifting. Nice. So really, it's just a nice, mostly a full glass of champagne uh -huh. and then an a dollop, depending to taste, of St. Germain, oh. which is the elderflower, elderflower. liqueur. Uh -huh. And I, what I love about St. Germain is it's very bright, it's very um, flavorful, but it's also not too heavy. You know, I it's tend to think of... subtle. Yeah. Liqueurs, in my mind, tend to be, like, kind of... Demence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of just heavy <laughs> and very sweet. Very um, but this is is not. It's a very subtle. It's a very, it's just beautiful. And mixed with a nice champagne mm. with some berries in there. And beautiful. oh my gosh, beautiful, very nice, uplifting cocktail. Oh, and we need some uplifting sometimes. Yes, we, we do. When that's, we're dealing with the difficult stuff. That's great. When that's we're dealing great. with the difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we get to do our teacher shout outs and, and uh, I'm going to start. And I'm gonna. Ha I have a shout out for Kim Earhart, and Kim is a history teacher over at a local, um, a community college near us. Not our one right in town, but but near us. And she also um, is in charge of uh, a center on on campus. And I have never been in her classroom, 
and I have never seen her teach, but um, knowing her and having discussions about education and about um, events and so forth, I think she has so much enthusiasm and she has um, a lot of knowledge, and I just think that that's she needs a shout out. <laughs> I think she gets a lot of great feedback about her teaching from students, and I would love to take a class from her. So, Yay. Kim Earhart. Hey. <laughs> so, my shout-out is to my friend Ruth, Mrs. Ruth Baca, who is a science teacher at my school. And this woman has been an incredible mentor for me over the last couple of years. And it's it seems like it doesn't even matter what topic we're topic, talking about. She's got something erudite to say about it with great resources to back her up. She's one of the most well-read teachers I've ever met. She's constantly reading to improve her uh, her craft as a teacher. Wow. Mm-hmm. And she's just amazing that way. But on top of that, she's just got great organizational things. So we had a, we're on break, but she and I did a work day at school yesterday. And um, we both spent the full day at school trying, just getting prepped for the new semester. That's shocking that you would do that. It's the day of your vacation. <laughs> I know. School. It's my vacation. I spent the whole day there. No <laughs> teacher sorry. ever does that, right? <laughs> Wait, right. we already covered that. Yeah, well, hold on. Okay, continue, please. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, I was in her classroom and... We just happen to, and it's fun the way we kind of trade ideas back and forth because one of the ideas then that she took from me last year or that from some materials I had was an interactive whiteboard kind of thing on her, on her student desks. And she was, that's part of what she was doing yesterday was revamping those. And, um, but I'm in there and we're kind of looking at the way her classroom is laid out and comparing it to the way my classroom is laid out. And she just is like, oh, and I do this, that, and the other. And I'm looking at it going, well, of course, that's perfect. And it's just a little system <laughs> for... makes so much sense. Yes, and it's just a little system for having student supplies that her that her kids will need, but that they don't... She doesn't want to take up desk space for it, uh-huh. but just things like markers and rulers and whatever mm-hmm. they need for an experiment or whatever. And she's got it worked because we have sort of these built-in cubbies in our old-fashioned oh, uh-huh. classrooms. And she's just got it that so that behind every group desk, some kid just needs to reach behind, wow. open a cubby, and pull out a bucket with all the things. stuff they need. Wow. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I totally <laughs> could do that. I have all of those materials in the back of my classroom, right. and my students have been... Getting up, and there's a lot of back and forth, and of course that means a lot of conversation in between, or smacking of heads, or whatever. And it just takes longer. It takes longer. And anyway, it's a long, drawn-out example of what Ruth does for me. She always has some new ideas, so all I have to do is say, what do you think about, or I'm having trouble with, and she's got something interesting, even if I don't take her idea and run with it, she almost always has a good idea. Right. To share with me, right. and I, she's just, she's very, very intelligent, and just always, always thinking. So, and she never laughs at a question that I have, which is really, which nice. is really important, yeah. actually, <laughs> especially like last year when I was just getting back into the swing of yeah. things and trying to figure out how to use things like Google 
you know, all the Google apps that now I love. Very common, Um, right? But she's just, she's great at that. So that's my shout out for Ruth. It's just that the constant support and ideas and just great collegiality from her. She's, she's phenomenal. That's great. Yay, Ruth. So we're coming to the end of our current grin and parrot. We are. Please join us next time when you might hear Kathy say, Pick your friends, not your nose.